Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. A couple weeks ago, after my sermon, service is over, and I'm walking towards the back. And a sweet sister here from Highland, who you all know, she's walking towards me. And before she even gets to me, she's got tears in the corner of her eyes. And if you know this sister, you know it's been a really hard year for her. It's been a hard year for many of us. This year, she lost several people who were really close to her. And so she walks forward to me, and the tears start coming out, and this is all she can get out. She says, Eric, I need a sermon on heaven. Now, my pastoral instincts tell me that a sermon may not be what she actually needs on heaven. You know, what I can cover in 20, 25 minutes about something that's going to last forever. <laughs> like I can't cover it at all. Probably what she needs is to come up here one afternoon. We'll sit down on those couches out there in the commons. We'll just look at the Word of God together and see what we're taught about what happens after we die. But then the next week, Another sweet sister from this church who lost her husband this last year came up to me, and she said almost the exact same thing. And so when something like that happens, um, I pay attention. And I'm just going to assume God knows what his people need to hear better than I do. And I'm going to trust we need a sermon on heaven. You know, those two sisters are not the first people, obviously, to ask the question, what happens to those I love who die? What's going to happen to me when I die? In fact, you know, if you look at your Bible, what you will find is that that is probably the very first question the earliest followers of Jesus asked after he departed. The way we know that is we go to the oldest letter in the New Testament, which is 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians predates everything else in the New Testament. It's older than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's probably the earliest thing we have in the New Testament. And here's what Paul says to the Thessalonians. And the way he says it makes us think he's answering a question. This is what he says. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know, we want you to know about people who have died so that you won't mourn like others who don't have any hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and then rose, so we also believe that God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. So apparently, they were asking, what happens if Ben or Sarah die before Jesus comes back? We're living in eager anticipation of his return. But what happens if they pass before then? Well, notice, and if you, you know, dwell, if you dwell on that passage this afternoon, what, what you'll notice is, and if you'll throw that, will you throw that passage back on the screen there, Laurel, if you don't mind? Here's how he answers their question. He points to one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And he says the resurrection teaches us something about God and something about what happens to us when we die. What happens to those who belong to Jesus when they die? It's the resurrection. Okay. So that brings us back to the book of Mark. We're, we're going through this series on the book of Mark. And but by the time we get to our passage today, which is in Mark 12, starting in verse 18, by the time we get there, Jesus has said something about his resurrection about four times. Now, Jesus hasn't died yet, but here, like we read here in Mark 9, 31, this was because he was teaching his disciples that the human one or the son of man will be delivered into human hands. They will kill him. And three days after he's killed, he'll rise up. Okay, so Jesus is talking a lot about his dying and then rising. And he's talking about it with a group of people, the disciples, which is more than just the 12 apostles. The disciples was a big group of people who were following Jesus. And so apparently they're listening to Jesus who's talking about dying and rising up again. And they're beginning to ask questions about what this means. And they're beginning to talk about it with others. Namely, apparently, they're talking about it with the Sadducees. And there's a lot we could say about the group of people who we call the Sadducees, but here's all you need to know. They're sad, you see, because... <laughs> such a dad joke. I'm just getting us ready for BBS this week. All right. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Now, the Jews... In Jesus' time, they did believe in the resurrection. They believed that the resurrection would happen at the end of time when everybody would be raised at the same time. But Jesus is talking about something much more immediate. Three days later, he will rise up. This isn't something that's happening at the end. This is a resurrection that's right now. The Sadducees are hearing about all this talk about resurrection. They don't believe in resurrection, so they come to Jesus and they try to trap him. We're going to pick up in chapter 12, verse 18 of Mark. Here we go. The Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow but no children, the brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, this is a practice called Leverite marriage. It's commanded in Deuteronomy. The point is to protect vulnerable women, who in this culture if they die as widows, are in trouble. Okay, so the point is to protect vulnerable women, and it is commanded in Deuteronomy that the brother would marry the widow of his brother. Well, let's keep going. Now there were, sorry, um, but no children. The brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman, and when he died, he left no children. The second married her and died without leaving any children. The third did the same, and none of the seven left any children. Finally, the woman died. At the resurrection, when they all rise up, so they're talking about that resurrection in the end, whose wife will she be? All seven were married to her. And Jesus said to them, isn't this the reason you're wrong? Because you don't know either the scriptures or God's power. When people rise from the dead, they won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. Instead, they'll be like God's angels. And as for the resurrection from the dead, haven't you read in the scroll from Moses in the passage about the burning bush, that's Exodus, 
how God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So, he isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. You are seriously mistaken. Now, let's unpack this story because its central truth is is so good. It's what I want you to take with, with you when we leave here today. Let's unpack it. All right. To recap, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The historian Josephus, he put it like this. All right. The doctrine of the Sadducees is this. Souls die with bodies. Okay. For the record, there's a lot of people who think that today. Souls die with bodies, which is really sad. And so because they don't believe in the resurrection, and Jesus is talking about resurrection all the time, not only a resurrection that will happen at the end, but a resurrection that will happen now, they're going to come to him and try to ask him a question to trap him. So they come up with this hypothetical question about a woman who has seven husbands and all of them die. For the record, if you have seven husbands and they all die, we need to be asking questions about you. You know that brothers five and six were like, do I have to? All right. So, So they come to him and they ask him this scenario. It's impossible. It's a question that's just designed to trap him. It's like when my older boys ask my younger son a question to trap him. They'll say, Deacon, do you think you're the boss of the whole world? And Deacon says, yes. And then Noble's like, Mom, Deacon thinks he's the boss of the whole world. Lindsay says, no, he's not. I am. Right? Okay. It's one of those kind of questions. So the Sadducees come up with this impossible scenario to try to point out just how problematic it would be, Jesus, if resurrection actually happened. This would be a real mess in heaven. And this is what Jesus says. Isn't this the reason you are wrong? Because you don't know either the scripture or God's power. So what he does here is he brings together the two most important things in our life, the word of God and the power of God. And he says that both of those things together are pointing in one direction, and it's the direction of resurrection. Now, the Sadducees might have responded, Scripture doesn't talk about that. And to the Sadducees, only the first five books of your Bible are Scripture. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Jesus said, yeah, Scripture talks all about that. If you read the Psalms, if you look in Job, or if you look in Daniel, it has things to say about what happens when we die, but he doesn't go to any of those because they're not one of the first five. Instead, he goes to them on their ground, and he says, oh, you think Scripture doesn't talk about this? Well, let me remind you what God says in Exodus, the second book, one they count. He says this, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, So he isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. So to understand this point, you got to remember that the conversation he's talking about between God and Moses happens after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead. But he's pointing out something. God doesn't say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am their God. So, Jesus says, they must not be dead. They must be alive. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. We don't know what the Sadducees said. I like to imagine they said, 
touche. But we don't know what they said, but this is really good news for us. Bad news for them, good news for us. This is it. They are alive, and he is their God. When it comes to those who die belonging to God, those who die in Jesus Christ, Paul says, they are alive, and he is their God. Now, if I were to sit down with that sister who came up to me at the end of service the other day and ask me about those whom she loved who have died, we would look at passages. And here's, here's what I want you to do. There's back there by the communion cups, we've printed out these cards, and it just says, what happens next? And it's, it's full of some of the best passages about heaven and what happens after we die. I encourage you to go grab one of those. And so if we were to sit down, we were to read through those together, she and I, I mean, we'd find some great glorious images of heaven and our forever life, we'd find some great mystery. But at the end, when we finished, this is what I'd want her to walk away with. They are alive, and he is their God. That's it. Right. Now, does that answer all of our questions about heaven? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, did you know that 80% of Americans believe in an afterlife? which is far more than those who believe in God. Isn't that curious? Uh, which is to say people are much more interested in what happens after we die than they are in God. And this is why books or movies about those who die or have near-death experiences are wildly popular. Uh, the other day, our staff, we did this team building exercise where we went and threw axes, not at each other, at these targets, although I thought Alan Black was going to kill somebody for sure. And um, afterwards, the guy who led us in this team building exercise told us this story from his own life where he had had a near-death experience. And I'm telling you, while he was telling that story, you could have heard a pin drop among our staff. I mean, they were in rapturous attention to him. They listened to him way better than they listened to me. And why? Because we want to know what happens after we die. All of us want to know that. We want to know any detail we can get. What did you see? What was it like? How did it feel? And Jesus maybe unintentionally answers one of those questions that so many of us have, and that question is, are mom and dad going to be reunited in heaven? Are they going to be married forever? What does Jesus say? He says, when people rise from the dead, they won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. Instead, they'll be like God's angels. And that's disappointing to some of us. But here's the thing. If I'm disappointed about heaven, I must not be getting it right. So let's just flush this out really quick, and then I want to come back to our main point. What's the purpose of marriage? I've preached about this before. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the reason marriage exists, two people coming together and staying together under Christ, is to show the world what God's going to do with everything. He's going to bring everything together under Christ eternally. So in heaven, where everything is perfectly together under Christ, do we need marriage anymore? No. No. It's a sign of what's to come, and when you're living in what's to come, you don't need the sign anymore. Are you with me? But that doesn't mean that mom and dad will be separated from each other in heaven. It means they'll be more unified than they were on earth. Whereas no marriage is perfect, there their bond is perfect forever. Okay, so it's not bad news that Jesus is saying, it's really good news. But 
let me just point you back to this card and say, I can't answer all the questions about heaven today, but I'd love for you to read this card, pick one up on your way out, and come talk to me sometime, and we'll flesh it out a little bit more. But Paul says this. He says, now we see as a reflection in a mirror. Then we'll see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I'll know completely. What he's saying is there's things about our future in this life we're not going to understand, but one day we will. All right, well, let's go back to this main point. Let's come back to Jesus. Jesus talks to the Sadducees about the resurrection, about those who have died. He says the most important thing for you to know is that they're alive and he is their God. And I think that's enough. And here's why. It's enough because it answers that most pressing question, what happens to those who die? The answer, they live. And then it answers the question of how do they live? And they live with God and by God. Let me just show you. Jesus points back to when God tells Moses that he's the God I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And every time God says, I am, he couples that statement with the promise. If you look in Exodus, what's the promise? I am their God, and so I will be with you. I'll be with you. So when God says, I am, it's not just a statement of who he is, I am their God. It's a statement that he is with those who belong to him. So when the Sadducees hear Jesus refer to this and say, remember that time that God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That's not all they're hearing. What they're hearing is, I'm their God, and those guys are with me because I'm theirs. But the second thing it means, so, so again, those who die are with God. Those who die belonging to God are with him. But secondly, when he says, I am, it's a statement. And it's a statement which says very clearly that my forever life is not based on what I do, but on who he is and what he's done. When God says, I am, it's a reference to the promises he has made to those who've gone before us forever. And what he's saying is, you think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead. Well, I made promises to those guys. I'm a God who keeps his promises, and death isn't going to stop me from keeping the promises I make. I'm their God. I keep my promises. That's what he's saying. And so if you go back to that passage we started with out of Thessalonians, I mean, this is where the greatest truth about heaven and our forever lives comes out. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about people who have died so that you won't mourn like others who have no hope. Since we believe Jesus died and rose, not because of anything you have done, since we believe Jesus died and rose, we believe God will bring where? With him, those who have died in Jesus. <clears throat> The other day, our young adults got together and, um, for a, a time of worship, and they got out these old hymn books. They started singing some of the old songs. And I was struck as we were singing about how many of those songs were about heaven. You know, Sing to me of heaven. Um, oh, Zion, Zion. Um, we're marching to Zion. And they sang it really slow, and I thought, they are not going to get there quickly. <laughs> you know? um, or I'll fly away. 
I've told this story before. One time we found this bird dead in our yard, so the boys wanted to do a funeral, and that was the only song I could think to sing. I'll fly away. Okay. There's so many of those old songs about heaven. We used to talk about heaven all the time, and I don't preach about heaven a lot or the resurrection. And part of that is because the church has been critiqued over the years that there was a season in which we only talked about heaven, and we were so focused on the life to come that we didn't pay enough attention to the world around us. And there's some, there's some, some truth in that. But the other day, and I'll end with this, I was in one of our Sunday school classes. It was the first Sunday back to Sunday school after the pandemic. And we went around the room and every person in the room shared their highs and lows from the pandemic, the best things and the worst things. And nearly every person that shared, shared about some terrible loss during the pandemic. So many of them had lost grandparents or parents, many of them who were in nursing homes or hospitals and they were unable to go to them and be with them because of the pandemic. And so there's just deep sorrow about that. And I was reminded what Paul says, right? If we have hope in Christ only in this life, then we deserve to be pitied more than anybody else. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first crop of the harvest of those who've died. And since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead comes also through one too. And in the same way that everyone dies in Adam, so also everyone will be given life in Christ. When we can talk about this world and our obligation to this world, what we need to do to bring heaven to earth, which is the vision and revelation, and I am absolutely for that. I'm going to preach that week in and week out. But I'll tell you what, if our only hope is in this world, man, we deserve to be pitied because there are things that won't get fixed until heaven comes. And so I say to those who are left behind in this world, Wondering what has happened to those who have gone on before them. Are they okay? Are they happy? Are they taken care of? The response of Jesus is irresolute. Yeah, they're good. In fact, they're alive. And he's still their God. Praise God.